been walking through the book of Daniel, and uh, today I'm going to start with the third chapter, briefly look at the fourth. The story is about some guys that had been hauled off for their own country. So in other words, they were hauled into slavery and uh, forced to do what they didn't want to do. Uh, in regard to Daniel, I, it's my opinion that he was emasculated, so that would have meant no marriage, no family in the future. Um, in the same way, um, these guys had had their cultural and religious center built around Jerusalem, had been taken out. Now they're placed in a pagan culture with, you know, if you talk power, then how did their God fail and how did they end up in this place? And so it would have been a challenging thing to their faith, particularly when they are being told, do not worship this way. And that's what part of this conflict is about. So when we walk through this, you know, there's uh, the question of, well, what do you think God intended with this? You know, was it, was it that just to show that their faith was strong? Was it to give witness to Nebuchadnezzar? Well, yes to both and probably a million other things. Uh, it's, it's really foolish to, to look at God and say, you know, this is the one reason he did this. Seriously? He's, he's complex. You know, even in our own thinking when we do things, there's a multitude of motives that usually go into things, right? And, and so why would we try to pin in God with just one thing? It just makes no sense to me. But at least in this, as we walk through this particular passage, I want to note the faithfulness of these men in this situation but I also want to note how this king or this emperor, ruler, whatever you want to call him, how he is affected by this witness. Because what transpires is powerful for a man who has no consciousness of God to suddenly be brought into it by people that are under him and whom he's conquered already. In the third chapter, Nebuchadnezzar, the, the king, um, he builds a great big statue, and you can read it in cubits, but get the idea that it's roughly 90 feet high and, and 9 feet wide. That's about the height of the hospital here at, at its tallest point. You know, you usually figure feet per floor. It's got eight floors, or Snowberry, it, um, and Pine Ridge, I guess, is another eight-story building, right? So... Pretty substantial statue, covered with gold. You know, it would have been very, very impressive. But in that, uh, you know, he sets it up on a plane so that it can be seen a long distance. And then he calls all the officials in and says, I want you to worship at this thing. When you hear the music, bow down and worship. And, uh, of course, some of the locals complain that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego aren't doing that. They've been given places of authority there in Babylon because of the, the uh, excellence of who they are as people and the training that they've received. And some of the Chaldeans, it says, complain about it. Basically, they're saying, 
these foreigners have taken our jobs. And now they're not even, they're not even worshiping like we do. What are you going to do about this? Well, the king gets furious. You know, and, and he, he calls them in. And they must have been doing fairly well because he gives them a second chance. He's saying, you know, you know, maybe, I don't know what is going on in your heads, but if you'll bow down when we do this again, you, you know, you'll live. And that's where I want to pick up the story. They say, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. He, at one point, has made this declaration, what God is going to save you out of my hand? And so they're answering him back and saying, well, our God is capable, whether he does or not. Then they go on to say, you need to know, will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. Pretty powerful confrontation here. Hauled off, conquered, being given a pretty good gig, you know, where they got training and then were placed in positions of power, and yet they're saying, this isn't important enough to us to deny our faith. Now, it's important to note, there's nothing stated that they necessarily did wrong that got them in this place. You know, oftentimes, you know, we're wired with this, well, if things aren't going well, I must have done something wrong. That didn't apply in this setting. Or we go, maybe I'm just not smart enough to figure this out. It had, it had nothing to do with brains. They're in a wretched situation outside of their control. And yet, they are being willing to declare God is able to see us through this thing. Now, the king is furious at the response, and he makes the, the declaration, heat the furnace up seven times hotter and throw them in. And the part of the picture is that there are strong men that grab them with all their clothing, toss them in. The men die throwing them into the fire. You know, the, what we're to receive is that it's hot enough that it, there's a lot of damage to be done. And so they're thrown into this fire, and uh, Nebuchadnezzar is shocked because he looks, and they're walking around in there. They don't appear to be harmed whatsoever. And then he sees a, first, a fourth person. He says, it has the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. And he realized there is something very unusual taking place. Power confrontation, the issue of whether God is real or not, and then suddenly this man is having a spiritual experience. This is the second experience noted in this particular book, right? The first one, he has a dream, and Daniel interprets it for him. It's interesting to me that he had seen a, a statue with the head of gold, the shoulders and arms of silver, the, the body of bronze, and then the feet and legs of, of uh, iron and, and clay. So it's like he's taking that picture of that dream further, and he's made an image. And it's been told, you're the one of gold, and he builds a gold image. You know, I don't know what his thinking was going on, but somehow he's captured by this idea. And yet 
it isn't going where it's supposed to go. And so you know, he calls them out and says, you know, what's going on? There's not even any smell on you. The only thing that's fallen apart are the shackles that held you. And, you know, they're, they're completely unharmed. And he says, what, what, what has happened here? Well, they, they, they you know, obviously interact. And then he, he says, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him, and who set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. So he's not fully in the camp yet. He's not embracing it for himself, but he's recognized a God who is capable of rescue out of his hands. And then, in pagan fashion, I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins. There's no other God who is able to rescue in this way. And then he promoted them. So, you know, it's like... Uh, the Godfather is saying, oh, this is, this is really good. You don't serve him, I'll kill you. Uh, different. We're not used to thinking like that, right? I hope not anyway. Um, but that said, this man has had a, another encounter. Into the third chapter, or uh, excuse me, the fourth chapter, he has a dream. So this is the second dream that's listed in the scripture, and he's puzzling over it. He has a dream of this tree that grows up, a magnificent tree. And the birds of the air are able to live in it, and the beasts of the field get shade from it. And then at some point, it's cut down, and its roots are bound in, in, in iron, or bound with a ring of metal. And then it says that, uh, you know, it's... It lives wild, or it just is, it, the bees all flee, the birds flee. It, there's a lot of illness, and he goes, I don't understand this dream. Daniel comes in and gives interpretation. And, uh, you know, he, he comes to terms with this and recognizes that it's his life that's being talked about. And so I... I I realize I've skipped ahead of a passage here, and I want to go back and touch it before I finish this. But what I want you to note is that this man is having power encounters through the people that he's enslaved, and he's going to come to faith in God. And so even in looking at it, there might be a thing where in our hearts we would say, I might see this guy in heaven. Pretty strange. But for a guy that has conquered all of his known world and has lived without God to suddenly embrace this, it took encounters with people who were making declarations over him, even those, though those people had gone through incredibly difficult circumstances. So when... I'm wandering all over. I'm sorry, slide person, whoever you are. Deal with it. Uh, <laughs> Um, with that said, 
there are times when we don't like the job we have. We don't necessarily like the location we're living in. We're something of a minority in regard to our faith. And we're tempted to make it all about us. And how our lives just aren't quite working the way they should. And there's a moaning that goes out to God and says, what were you thinking? If this is your priority, why, why am I having trouble? Throughout Scripture, we have to recognize that people of faith had very difficult circumstances. But the idea of an eternal hope was strong enough that it really didn't fully matter whether it came to fulfillment and benefit in this lifetime, that the hope of eternity was strong enough to say, this is still of value. And beyond that, that God had intent of bringing a witness to people that had never heard of him. In the New Testament, the persecution that takes place drives people out of Jerusalem. You know, the church has been growing and flourishing and what drove it out in witness initially was, was persecution. They're forced into other communities, but they take this powerful faith with them that says, God is faithful even in the adversity of life. In Hebrews, the passage kind of recapping the heroes of the faith, it says, What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire. Maybe he's thinking about this story. Escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, mocked, flogged, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute and afflicted and mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. All of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. He's walking through this, and he's pointing there's something even more glorious ahead. Now, he's acknowledging that through Christ, there's a, a sight given as to what that will be. In resurrection from the dead, there's an acknowledgement that something is powerful beyond anything that we know in, in natural life. So when we walk through life together, there's this understanding that says, some of my circumstances may be very unpleasant in the moment. Some of them may be destructive even to my health. Some of them may be threatening in regard to my life. That does not mean that God is out of this equation. And what I may need to be looking around is saying, who would he want me to speak life to? And who does he want me to keep a steadfast witness of faithfulness unto God in this situation? It maybe requires me to have a confrontation that I don't look forward to, that I didn't pick, but this is what I need to do 
as a part of my faith in him. I want to review just this development of Nebuchadnezzar. In chapter 2, after the dream's interpreted, he says, Truly, your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings, the revealer of mysteries. So he looks at Daniel and says, Your God reveals things that nobody else could understand. So he's, he's gaining an understanding of who God is. In the third chapter, he says, No other God is able to rescue in this way. So he's still... You know, he's looking at gods worshipped everywhere, and yet he's saying, this God is unique. His ability to exert power over circumstances and rescue individuals, uh, you don't see that happening normally. In the fourth chapter, read just a few verses. He writes a letter to his kingdom. <laughs> you know, when, you have the, when you're the king and you got the power... Then, and you've been affected, out goes the witness. It seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. So he's making a declaration, this God is unique. This God is eternal. This God has power over all things. So that's his opening statement. And then he tells the story of, of the dream and, and how then for seven years he lives like an animal. But then he's brought back and restored. So he's had a, a crazy experience. It says he was walking one day and he's saying, this kingdom, I built this. This, this ruling over all the people's... That's me. You know, I, not many could pull this off. I did it. And in that instance, he's humbled. And he goes off and lives like an animal. It says he ate grass. His hair grew long. His, you know, dreadlocks, right? Claws. You know, the fingernails. It, live like an animal. Seven years. And then restored, brought back. He says, how else could that happen except for God? At the end of days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. I humbled myself. I looked to God. I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. He does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. None can stay his hand and say, what have you done? He says he has authority over all things. At the same time, my reason returned to me for the glory of my kingdom and my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Did you catch that? He said his ways are just. 
when we go into situations and things aren't working out the way that we desire, and there's this adversity about our lives, the first question that comes to mind is, where is the justice? Where is God in this? I don't deserve this. I didn't do something wrong. And yet the declaration is in light of eternity and who this is, he has every right to make this declaration and decision. Nebuchadnezzar has walked through as the most powerful man on the earth is making a statement saying, he is the one that has all authority. He is the one that has the right to make the decisions like this. I will bless and honor his name. It's incredible. And so when, when we're walking through our day-to-day things, and we stub our toe. It's not that God hates you. It's not that he forgot about you. It's not that he's let you go. There's more to it. And I encourage you, you know, even as we, I had mentioned earlier, you may be working a job that you just don't like, and you know it's not your final destiny. You know he has spoken to your heart other things. Suck it up, buttercup. (laughs) It's time to embrace our placement in the Lord and say his hand is bigger than this situation. You may not even like living in this community. but you know you're here for this season. Does that really matter in the grand scheme of things? You may be the only person in your setting that worships God. And you might be going, it's just so wrong, profane all the time, and every time I speak up, they mock me or they insult me. And I'm going, keep talking. Keep speaking faith. And allow God to bring the dreams and the interactions that will force others to see faith. You know, they they couldn't have given him these dreams. They couldn't have set up the thing with the furnace and said, I just got a good feeling about this. We can do this. No way. No way. Their lives were on the line and God chose to let them live and they're going, whether we live or die is insignificant to the light of eternity. So Lord, help us to, in a similar way, declare your greatness. I've been considering the whole topic of fasting this last week and there's a lot about it that I don't understand Um, it's like how do you do it without uh, taking on this mournful attitude so to speak of uh, lack you know and yet keep confident in the Lord or or what's the right mindset that I I see it as a challenge and uh, one of the things 
Jesus made the declaration. He says, when the bridegroom is gone, then the others will fast, or his followers would fast. And the bridegroom is gone right now. We're wanting him to come back. And so there is a need to just say, we long for your return. And that, that can be cultivated in our lives, that longing, and just say, this being apart isn't appropriate. We want to be together. And that's a longing that, that's, that should be fostered, so to speak, even though there's a tension in it. And I thought, you know, how wonderful that uh, he did die for us. And it's, it's a, there's a longing that says we long for eternity and everything to be put in place. But while we walk through this in a season of struggle and difficulty, we know <laughs> there's a restoration time coming. Praise the Lord. Would you stand with me? Turn it over to you guys. I'm going to pray for God's blessing upon you. Uh, what remains is open-ended worship. It'll be a little while before the food's ready. Might as well take your time. Um, this week is critical for a lot of you students to make that decision forward and to be willing to confront where necessary to do the right thing. Uh, extremely important. You know, much of what you do is established even in this week. So I'll pray for your blessing and strength to stand, okay? May your blessing rest on these, your people. May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they discover with joy what it is to walk in perseverance. And the power of a witness of a life lived for you. As they walk into the community, lead them into relationships. For those longing to know the God of God's. Allow them to speak life. Allow their deeds to be fitting with the workings of your kingdom. Gift them with the supernatural, I ask. Be lifted up and exalted, our Lord, we pray. We love you this day. Amen. Amen. God bless you.